0: Good morning, everybody. Hope you all are wide awake. Got a lot of sleep last night. If not, don't worry. I'll be making some eye contact here and there. Make sure just keeping you all there on your toes. Um, As we get going this morning, I'm going to uh, open up by sending you back just a few years. Uh, Listen to this blast from the past. Uh, It was performed by the Jackson 5. Jeremy, if you could play. It's coming. It's coming. Remember that song? You've heard this song? It's catchy. I like that. I like that song. Well, it's, you know, some of you have probably heard this song when it was first released in 1970. And there's many of you who probably heard this song on VH1, like myself. Um, you know, but regardless of age, most, most of us find the song catchy, particularly the line, as I made completely obvious, I will be there. There's something about this statement, though, that I'll be there, that for many of us brings a sense of comfort, brings a sense of security, and it brings a sense of intimacy, knowing simply this, that someone is there for you. You're not alone, you won't be alone, and you don't need to be afraid. Why? Because the song tells us, I'll be there. That line very nicely portrays one of the main points that we're going to see in this passage this morning. Um, And why does it do that, you say? Because God his Father reminds Jacob in our passage, Jacob, I'll be there. And this whole series on Genesis is titled, if you look in your bulletins, you see this title for the whole entire Genesis series. It is titled, The God Who Is There. And in this particular passage, the there is referring to the journey and destination to Egypt. That's the there. And God God will be with Jacob and his family even on the way. So it's the traveling and the destination that God is going to be there for his people. And he's not only going to be there with just them once they get to Egypt, but he's also going to be with all the descendants for the 400 plus years that they're, that they're going to be, in slavery mistreated in Egypt. He will be there with them. So as we read this morning, Genesis 46, verses 1 through 27, and we go over the sermon points, my hope is simply this, that you see that God is an intimate, personal God who is truly there, who is truly present with his people in their lives. When you think you need him, when you definitely do need him, when you're too prideful to ask for his help, and when you're on your knees and you don't have words to say, but simply he knows God will be there for you. So, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you that you're good, you're faithful and true. You are always there for us, and you always will be, Father, until the end of the age. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be with us, and He poured out his Spirit that he might dwell in us all the days of our lives when we trust, hope, and believe in your one and only Son, Jesus. Amen. So if you're new or visiting with us, um, do not worry. I'm going to catch you up. I realize we're in Genesis 46, but I'm going to give you a few highlights to catch you up, to see where we've been, so that you understand the context of where we're going this morning in Genesis 46, 1 through 27. Most recently, we've been going through the life of Joseph, Joseph, which began in Genesis 37. We started our journey looking at the life of Joseph when he was a young boy and when he was the favored son of Jacob now Joseph's favoritism is most easily displayed by his colored coat many of you might have even seen the play the Joseph the Technicolor Dream Coat so this is the same person that we're talking about we have also witnessed Joseph being betrayed and sold in slavery by his brothers we've also seen Joseph's false imprisonment at the hand of Potiphar we've also seen Joseph's rise to power. That he's basically the number two power in Egypt, only below Pharaoh. And then just a couple weeks ago, uh, we began the process of looking at Joseph's brothers coming to and from the land of Egypt to buy grain for for their journey and travels. But last Sunday, if you weren't here, if you were, this is just a quick recap, but if not, Hopefully it'll be helpful. Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers because he had not done that before. He revealed himself, I am your brother Joseph. And these are the very same brothers who sold him into slavery, basically selling him, knowing that he would possibly die being enslaved. And they left him for dead many years ago. And Joseph, being the godly man that he was, reminded his brothers, ultimately, it was not you, brothers. It was not you, But God who sent me here, God made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. And it truly was a great deliverance. It really was. For there was a great famine in all of the land. And Joseph was now able to care for, protect, and to provide for his family. And when Pharaoh heard this, that Joseph's family had come, Pharaoh was pleased, and he told Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals, return to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your families back to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. And with this great news, the brothers returned home to the land of Canaan. And when they returned home, they repeated everything, that they had been told. And they repeated it back to their father, Jacob. And Jacob, seeing all of the wonderful provisions that had been brought back from Egypt, Jacob believed their testimony, and he was overjoyed. Scripture that we saw last week, that his spirit was revived. There was life and vitality in him once again. And I say that, even though Jacob was overjoyed, and his son was alive, and that they were going to be provided for during this famine, Jacob was not without some legitimate hesitations in going to this land of Egypt. And so that's where we left off last week. So if, if you will, pick up your Bibles or your bulletins, because I've got the text provided for you there. Let's see what God has in store for Jacob this week and see what he has in store for his family and also you, because this is relevant to all of us. So if you'll pull those out. We're going to read together Genesis 47 verses 1 through 4 first. And this is going to be sermon point number one, God's promises. God's promises. So let's read together. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the land and said, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob said, here I am. He said, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. There are a lot of things going on in these verses. There's a lot of stuff here. So let's break these things down together. Let's look at them. Let's process them, all right? Here we have Jacob, who is also named Israel, same person, beginning his travel to the land of Egypt to be with Joseph. But for some odd reason, Jacob decided to stop in Beersheba and to offer sacrifices to God. And next, we have God in all of his majesty, his glory, his awesomeness, his power, and his fatherly tenderness and goodness. He appears to Jacob in the night when he was in Beersheba. And in this vision, God gives to Jacob four promises. One, I will make you into a great nation. Two, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. Three, I will also bring you up again. Four, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. There's a lot here to work with within these promises, but what's just going on within the whole context of this story But for the sake of the sermon, I'm going to focus on, for this point, why Jacob stopped in Beersheba and the promises which God gave to Jacob. So those are the things we're going to focus on. So without further ado, let's ask the question, why did Jacob stop in Beersheba in the first place? Why did he stop? Well, for one thing, Jacob knew that God's promise involved the land of Canaan, not Egypt. He would have also remembered that God had told his father, Isaac, not to go to Egypt during a time of famine. We find that in Genesis 26, verse 2. So Jacob wisely stopped in Beersheba to seek the Lord, and he did not move on to Egypt until the Lord had given him the green light, it's okay to go. The land of Canaan, in which Jacob and all his family lived, was the promised land that was given to Isaac and given to also Abraham. The land of Egypt at that point, in the mind of Jacob, carried no promises. Egypt did not have a blessing. It did not have the promises attached to it. So he's got some reasons to have hesitation to go to Egypt, even though it seems like a good, a good thing. Jacob knew that leaving the land of Canaan, which God had given specifically to them, was not an insignificant thing. This was not a small matter. Leaving the promised land without God's divine guidance, would have been an act of disobedience and probably a disaster simply waiting to happen um, for him and also the whole entire family. Disobeying God and failing to trust his promises never worked out for his family. didn't work out for Abraham and his journeys and travels. It didn't work out for Isaac and his travels. And it didn't work out for Jacob and his family. Not trusting God and his promises did not work out well for them. And Jacob had a long history to look back on just to see that truth. And disobedience to God's commands and failing to trust his promises and to believe them, to spend some time to actually think about them. Not trusting these things and not relying on them, it never works out well for anybody, for you or for me. It simply doesn't. Jacob's decision to stop in Resheba, it was not random. Rather, it was quite the opposite. Beersheba was an important location in the life of Isaac, Jacob's father. And it was here, again in Beersheba, that God appeared to Isaac in the night and spoke to him words of promise and comfort, much like we see here in our text, done for Jacob. And in response to God's presence and promises, Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of Yahweh. And God responded, I'll be there. Perhaps it is on the same altar That Jacob now, maybe he's offering sacrifices to God. We don't know, but it's not far-fetched to think this is the very same location that his father Isaac also visited because it was in Beersheba. And then God also met them during the night in the vision. The subtlety of Jacob's pause in Beersheba and his hesitancy to leave this land of Canaan. Even though Egypt looks pretty good right now, there's a famine going on. His long-lost son, who he's not seen, who he thought was dead, is in Egypt. And not only that, his son is a 2nd command He's got a lot of wealth, a lot of power, kind of do what he wants. A lot of good reasons right now to go to Egypt. But I want you to see, Jacob is wise. He is wise because he goes about this transition and move first by seeking God before he kept on moving. He sought God in this transition. And how does God respond to Jacob's faithfulness? And his dependence, he responds like a loving father should with words of comfort and affirmation. He does this way, he does this by giving four promises. Four promises. Listen to what God promises, Jacob. One, I will make you into a great nation. Two, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. Three, I will also bring you up again. For Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Do you see God's character here? Slow down, slow your mind, your thoughts, your ideas. Do you see God's character here in this text? He is showing not only his sovereignty, but he's also showing his tenderness to care for Jacob in the midst of this transition in his life. God reaffirms the Abrahamic promise and his sovereign plan to preserve a remnant, a people for himself, to make a great nation out of Abraham's descendants. And in reminding Jacob of this vision, he's basically letting Jacob know that he's going to do what he promised, but it's going to be in the land of Egypt. It's not necessarily going to happen right now in the land of Canaan. I will make you a great nation. I will keep my promise, but it's not going to be in the land of Canaan where I turn you into, when I form you, when I grow you into a great nation. It's going to be in the land of Egypt. Travel plans have changed. And the second promise, God confirms Jacob's travel plans and moving to Egypt and that his presence and also his blessing would be with the family going to Egypt every step of the way. For God truly was with them. He never left them. He never forsake them. And we're going to see that more in the coming weeks too. God is reminding us and reminding Jacob here, I am there. I will be there for you no matter where you go. And your move to Egypt is a part of my plan and your descendants. Don't fear for I am with you wherever you go. And I am with you on the travels to Egypt. Now, the third promise might have come as a surprise, for God tells Jacob, I will also bring you up again. And for those of you who are not geographically inclined, like myself, um, Canaan is north of Egypt. Canaan is north of Egypt. So when he says, I will bring you up again, he simply means, I will bring you back to the land of Canaan. I will bring you up from Egypt back to the land of Canaan. But if you would ask this question, how could this be? How could this simply be? Jacob, in his youthful age of roughly 130, he's simply about to die. So how could he be brought up again out of this land? How could God promise him this? That I will bring you, Jacob, up out of the land. I will bring you back to the land of Canaan. Especially since if you look at the promise number four, you will see that this fourth promise alludes to Jacob's death and the presence of Joseph in the land of Egypt. So it seems like there's a problem there, but there's, actually there's not, but if we, if we read careful enough, um, we can see there's something else going on. There's not a conflict here. The answer to this comment has nothing to do with actually Jacob himself coming back up to the land of Canaan, but rather Jacob's descendants, Jacob's blood. And it's common in the Bible for authors to refer to the patriarchal head of the family as a representative of the rest of the descendants. This is common. We see this a lot, particularly in the Old Testament even when the patriarch is mentioned and it's meaning the descendants and rather not the patriarch. This happens a lot. So when he says, I will bring you up again, he's referring to the descendants, not necessarily Jacob. God is promising Jacob's descendants, I will deliver you from Egypt back to the land of Canaan, going back north. But this would not happen before the prophecy which was given to Abraham in Genesis fifteen thirteen. This wouldn't happen before this prophecy would be fulfilled. Genesis 15:13 says this: "Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not their own, and they will be enslaved and they will be mistreated. So it's going to be some time before the Israelites, they're going to see this promise come to fruition, before they see this promise's fulfillment, but nonetheless we know that God is faithful he's true and it's going to happen. As for the fourth promise, God gently reassures Jacob that your long lost son, whom you thought was dead for so many years, you will be with him at your death and he will close your eyes. He will be by your side when you depart from this life. God lovingly comes aside Jacob in Beersheba, tells you, you will be at peace. I will reunite you with your long lost son. Your family will be with you. I will be with you when you depart. For I have always been and I always will be with you until the end of the age. And this is what this fatherly tenderness that's being reminded to Jacob in this fourth promise, that God is good and God is faithful and that he will be there with him till the end. You have to understand, Jacob hasn't seen his son since his son was about 17 years old. He was about 17 when he was sold in slavery. He hasn't seen his son for many, many, many years. And what seems to be depressing here in this kind of morbid promise that your son will close your eyes, it seems kind of like a dark, ominous, morbid thing to to promise you're going to die and your son's going to be there with you. But it's not actually what it seems. It really isn't. It's actually comforting good news to an ailing older man. Because things are not always as they seem. Oftentimes in Scripture, many times in your life and in my life, Things are not always as they seem. Much like, as we see here, the travel plans for Jacob, his family, and all of the Israelites. I'm sure traveling to Egypt probably wasn't the route Jacob wanted to take. Didn't have the blessings, didn't have the promises attached to it. I'm sure this isn't what he would have chosen for his family. I'm sure it isn't. But God in his sovereignty and God in his goodness, he knew what was best him, He knew what was best, and that meant, as the sermon is titled, going down to Egypt. For Egypt was not only the best, best option in the short term, given the famine, but also is the best option in the long term, for God had to do things that sometimes we don't see. God was going to refine the character of the Israelites. He was going to grow them into a mighty nation in Egypt. They would be refined as a people He was also allowing for the sins and iniquities of those who are presently living in Canaan once the Israelites left, allowing for the sins and iniquities of those living in Canaan to reach their fill before God would come and bring justice to them. For God's plans are not always our plans. They're just simply not. But what is promised to us, like what was promised to Jacob, is that God is always, always with us wherever we go, every step of the way. You know, my plan uh, for my life after college uh, was simply to get this, is to get my business administration degree with the purpose of setting myself up uh, to be able to get my MBA and to get my MBA and go to uh, a hospital and hopefully work in their um, administration department and maybe eventually work my way up in hospital administration. That's what I wanted to do. That's, That's what my plans were. Um... And I was hoping I'd make some serious green along the way, too. I'm not going to say that that wasn't part of that a desire. Uh, but God had other plans for me. He had a different destination. He had different travel plans for me. I did graduate with my business administration degree. But I didn't go on to get my MBA. I didn't do that. God, in the midst of my time in college, he changed my travel plans. And instead of going to get the MBA with hopes of making some money, and being fulfilled doing administration work, um, he met me in a very real, very personal way that I was not expecting. Um, but I'm really glad he did, because it transformed my heart, transformed my mind, and my travel plans. I didn't receive visions like Jacob or Isaac. I didn't hear any voices or anything like that. But God met with me in a new and a refreshing, real way in a varsity men's Bible study that I had at Christopher Newport. I saw my freshman year, I saw God in a totally new way in the Gospel of John. I felt his presence. I felt his guidance. I felt his love. I saw his goodness and faithfulness in Scripture like I had never seen. It's like the scales were lifted off my eyes reading the Gospel of John that year. The Lord comforted me. He gave me new desires to serve, to preach, to teach, um, to love his people. That's not the direction I thought I was going. That's not the direction I had set out for myself. Um, But the Lord changed my travel plans. And I wanted to go in after that. After the Lord met me, He changed my travel plans. My desires changed. I wanted to serve in full-time ministry all the time. I wanted that to be what I did all the time. I didn't want to do what I had previously wanted to do. Why? Because God's plans were better than my plans. They truly were better than my plans. I didn't see anything. I I didn't see the the end result of what the Lord wanted to do in my life um, and what he had stored just for me and my family. For God's plans are not always our plans. But listen, we would do well to seek God in the midst of our plans. We truly would. We would do well to stop and seek the Lord and his plans for our lives. For his plans are always, always better than your plans, better than my plans. Even when we are feeling most confident and secure about things, God's plans are always better than our plans. Sometimes they line up, sometimes they don't. But nonetheless, we need to seek God with our plans in life. So this is a great point, Um, simply to ask you all the question, do you seek the Lord in your own life? Do you seek the Lord? In your own life with your travel plans? Do you seek the Lord with your business transactions, the decisions you make? Do you seek the Lord in making um, decisions for your family, for education, for moves to different places? Do you seek the Lord um, in your relationship status, whatever that may be? Do you seek the Lord in how you enter in friendships? or leave friendships, how you interact with your wife, your children? Do you seek the Lord in all these different areas of your life, even though you may think you have an idea of how you're doing? Do you seek the Lord? Do you, do you actually stop and spend some time with the Lord seeking what God would have for you in that business decision, and that comment or two you should or should not say to your wife, to your children, to your husband? Do you stop to seek the Lord's plans and his ideas for you? Um, I know I often don't do that very often, but I'm imploring you, and I'm also eating my own words, you would do well to seek the Lord and his plans for whatever it is you fill in the blank. Uh, because God's plans are not always our plans, much like Jacob found out in his travel plans. But what Jacob does tell us, and what God tells Jacob that no matter where you are, where you go, where you're going to be, I will be with you every step of the way. I'm not going to leave you ever. I will be with you. Now, don't worry. I know they're thinking, man, we've got a lot more verses to cover. We're only at verse 5. That's all right, because I'm going to cover this next section quickly. And I'm doing that because I want you to see the big picture of verses 5 through 27. There's a big picture I want you to see. And we're going to cover those things. I might skip over a few names. It's not simply because they're difficult to pronounce, although that's part of it. um, But it's because I want you to see the breadth of what's going on, the big picture of this next section. Sermon point number two. These are verses 5 through 27. God provides. God provides. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and the little ones, and their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, and Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, and his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his offspring he brought with them into Egypt. Now, these are the names of the descendants of Israel, who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben. Etc., etc. The sons of Simeon, the sons of Levi, the sons of Judah, the sons of Issachar, the sons of Zebulun. And verse 15 These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Paddan Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered thirty three. Verse 16 The sons of Gad, the sons of Asher, Verse 18, these are the sons of Zophah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons and all. Verse 19, the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of An, bore to him, the sons of Benjamin. Verse 22, these are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob. 14 persons in all. Verse 23. The sons of Dan, the sons of Naphtali. And these are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. Verse 26. And all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. And the persons of the house of Jacob, who came into Egypt, totaling were seventy in all. The question that probably comes to mind after reading all those, and I'm sure you read all of those names, even though I didn't read all of them, um, is why are they all listed? Why are all these names here? There's a ton of them. Why are they here? If Moses is trying to simply bore us to death, help us zone out even more than maybe we already are throughout this sermon right now, It's okay, you can be honest. Um, Then he's doing a good job, right? Well, I don't want to leave you in that position because there is a lot going on here, more than you would think. At first, this list seems pretty boring. It's just a list of names traveling. But there is a lot more. If you would stop to look at the text, really, really try to think, what is going on here? What would Moses have to say to his audience in this point in time? I think you will get a lot out of this genealogy. It's a, it's a, there's a lot more going on here than you simply think. But I think most of us don't stop, honestly, to slow down and try to ask good questions of Scripture. So I'm asking you and imploring you to slow down. Let's ask some questions of why this list may be here. Because there's some good news here. There's some good stuff going on, actually, in this list. I didn't think it, it, there was at first, and I knew I had to come preach to you this morning. But God provided some insights, a wise hearing text, and it is truly good. So let me make this crystal clear. All right? The difference between us as the audience this morning, reading this passage in the 21st century and Moses, who was writing to his audience some 3,000 plus years ago, is that when Moses was writing to his audience, he was writing to encourage the people of God who were leaving Egypt and re-entering the land of Canaan. Remember that third promise, I will bring you up again? He's writing one of those people. Moses saw the big picture here. He saw the whole picture when he wrote this. And this genealogy is included to display God's awesome provision for Israel. For what goes into Egypt, 70, as we see, is quite disproportionate to what comes out of Egypt, which is thousands upon thousands. A lot more people come in 70 than thousands upon thousands. And as you look at verses 8 through 27, you review the names of Israel, including which we see, the 12 tribes of Israel, you will see God and his amazing provision. For Moses records these names so that the Israelites may remember God's power in the day in which they were brought back north to the land of Canaan, out of Egypt, after they were enslaved for 400 years, mistreated after they were wandering the desert for 40 years. Moses wants to document this. He wants us to know that God was at work. He truly was there with his people, even when they did not think he was there at all. God was there. And he created a mighty nation from this small group, the 70. God was faithful in keeping his promises and creating this mighty nation which left Egypt. We'll see that later on. God is faithful in keeping his promises. And you know what? God provides for his promises. He doesn't leave you hanging. He doesn't leave us hanging. He promises us stuff, and then he provides means for those promises. To us, it's a boring list. But in reality, these names are living, breathing testaments to God's faithfulness and God's provision and keeping his promises. God provided for his promises. God kept his word, And he's simply, Moses is setting the stage to depict this to his audience, to his people. And we, in the 21st century, can come see this, and we get to see the whole big picture. We can say, man, God truly is faithful. He keeps his promises. There is a good God who we can rely on in our darkest, darkest nights, darkest days, who is faithful and never leaves us, ever. Now, there are a few interesting things about this list. I'm only going to list them uh, briefly. But um, listen to this. The list of names are actually broken into five groups. I tried to help when I was reading through them, kind of break them up. But there is a, there are groups of five. The genealogical, li- the genealogical list of Jacob shows us the categor- categorical descendants from each woman. From Leah came 33 descendants. From Zilpah came 16 descendants. From Rachel came 14 descendants. From Bilhah came 7, totaling 70. Other passages, such as number 26 and Acts 7, they do depict a few discrepancies in this totaling, this numbering of 70, which came into um, Egypt. Um, But as one commentator, simply just summed it up and said it best. This number of 70, it isn't necessarily meant to be an exact number. Rather, this number of 70 is to function as a symbol of fullness and completion. These 70 names represent the completeness of God's covenant promise to the patriarchal fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This list is a confirmation that God's promised blessings were still intact. Even though they're entering into a foreign land, God n- never left them. God was there in the midst of his people every single step of the way. I'm sure there were moments that they felt like he wasn't. They did spend 400 years being enslaved, mistreated. They did wander in the desert for 40 years. Years, I'm sure there were times that they felt God was not there, much like you feel like there are times when you're in the desert and you feel that like God's simply not there. I've had many of those experiences. But God is faithful and he truly is there, whether you realize it or not. And he's working behind the scenes to do things sometimes you can't imagine. And he's setting the stage sometimes to show his awesome provision and power in a new and mighty way you could have never fathomed What Moses wants us to see is this. Or excuse me, what God wants them to say is, look, don't you see how small you were? Don't you see how small you were, Israelites? That you started with only a few more than 70 people going into the land of Canaan. And now you've come out and you are thousands upon thousands. Even in tough times, God provided for them. God kept his promises to make them in a great nation. You started with 70, now you've come up out of Egypt, as promised, into a great nation, as promised. This God whom we serve, whom we love, he is faithful and he is true. Church, this list of names is a beautiful reminder of God's faithfulness to keep his promises and to make provision for those promises. It's not as lifeless in his genealogies. I know we've gone over a few of them. They're not as lifeless as they seem. We just need to stop, slow down, and spend some time reading the Bible to see there is a lot more at work here. There's a lot of good stuff that is here for us, more than we could possibly know. The Bible's not nearly as boring or as trivial as we truly think it often is. Um, but I realize many of you are still thinking, okay, that's good news. God provides. God has promises. He does everything He can to provide for those promises. But what does that have to do with me today? I would I would respond to you simply by saying this: It has everything to do with you, everything. For God, in His innermost character, is faithful to the core of His essence and beings. He keeps His promises. He provides the means to fulfill His promises. And you know what the greatest promise that he ever made, which is completely relevant to every single one of us and to every single person that we come in contact with, is the sending of his son, the greatest promise to eradicate sin, to bring us into communion with the God who created the heavens and the earth, all the stars in the sky, the water, the expanse, who created you, your mind, who gave you the gifts and abilities that he gave you. He promised that he would send his son to make right what you and I screwed up. And we screw up every single day and the wonderful sin that we think and that we do in our actions. The greatest promise, sending his son. And we first see this promise that there would be someone to pay the penalty for your sins, my sins, the sins I'm going to commit today, tomorrow, and the next day. We first see this in Genesis 3.15. In our nice theological terms, it's called the proto-euangelion. And this simply means the first gospel promise is encapsulated in Genesis 3.15. The promise of a Savior who would destroy and wipe away sin and evil for good. Not only in your life, but for all creation. If the God of the Old Testament, the God of Jacob, who we're reading about, is truly faithful, if he's truly present, and he continues to provide for his promises, if this is the very same God, the God of the New Testament, who came in the form of a man 2,000 years ago, this is, in fact, the same God who who has shown himself and continues to do so as being trustworthy and faithful to keep his promises... Then I'd say it's safe to say that trusting the greatest promise that He made to send His Son to wipe away your sins, your guilt, your iniquities, the evil thoughts, the evil desires, I'd say that's pretty relevant and I'd say that's pretty important for us to think about or to even appreciate, if you will. This is relevant and it's not far fetched because what we're seeing in Genesis, we're seeing a God who's faithful, we're seeing a God who's there. And when He makes a, a huge promise, to eradicate sin, to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring love, fullness, wholeness to you, which is wrapped up in a single person, I'd say that's at least worth considering and spending a few moments to think about. This amazing promise is wrapped in the virgin-conceived God. God promised to send his Son Matthew one twenty three says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Well, Emmanuel means God with us. They will give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This whole reminder of God being there for us. He's there for us every step of the way. Old Testament, New Testament, and forevermore. He's never left you. You leave for college, he's there with you. When you have surgeries, He's there with you. When you have difficulties with your children, He's there with you. When you have the worry of, what am I going to do if I lose my job, or if my contract ends, God is there with you. Whatever the issue is, if you place your faith, your trust, your hope in the person of Jesus Christ, then God is with you every step of the way. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, I can't necessarily say that same promise is there for you, but I hope you would trust in the person of Christ so that those promises would be there for you because it is good and is irrelevant. Our God keeps his promises. He promised to send his son. For he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Church, God makes awesome promises. If we will slow down to think about them, and to see how relevant they are in our life, he makes awesome promises. And he is an awesome God who keeps his promises. And we're going to see more of this in the coming weeks because we need to be reminded we are a fickle people who often forget how faithful God truly is. So we've got more of that to come, which is good for us. We need it. And we're going to see in the coming weeks that God will make this great nation from this small group of 70-plus people And he will be with Jacob on his journey and in the destination of Egypt. God will be with Jacob's descendants and will bring them up again to the land of Canaan as promised. And Jacob will rest in peace in the presence of his son, Joseph, before he departs. In church, this beautiful, this personal promise and giving of the son, his only son, Jesus Christ. Who is Emmanuel? Who is God with us? And who poured out his spirit to dwell in us when we love and trust him and receive him as Lord and Savior? God keeps his end of the promise. He says, I will be with there. And you know what? He is there. God promised it. God provided for it. God is there. And he's going to be there every step of the way. As I close this morning, I'm going to read to you some beautiful scriptures. Uh, please pray with me and give thanks to God because he has shown his faithfulness throughout this wonderful Bible and saying, I'm going to be there with you. I'll be there. And let's take some time just to simply thank, Lord, you are truly there and we love you for that. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, you comfort us with your words. You are faithful and you are true. Lord, you told Moses in Exodus, I will be with you. And Lord, you reminded Moses in Deuteronomy, have no fear or dread of them because it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Lord, you reminded Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. And even Israel as an evil nation who worshiped other pagan gods, who was disobedient to you time and time again, you and your faithfulness and goodness to them reminded them, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, even in exile. And Lord, you promised us that you would send us a Savior, one who would deliver us from evil, one deliver us from pain, from hurts, from sorrows, uh, from the disappointments of this life, and that you would bring us in communion with you, and you sent your son, Emmanuel, God with us, for you kept your promise, and you are good. And Lord, in Matthew, you remind us, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you that you're always there for us, even when we feel like you are far away, that you haven't heard our prayers. You truly are there, Lord. Thank you that you provide always what you promise, for you are a good and you are a loving and gentle God. Lord, you tell us over and over in your scriptures, I'll be there. And yet we so often forget that beautiful promise. Continue to remind us time and time again, like you did for Jacob, that you are there for us and you are there for us every single step of the way and our destinations and our travels and our plans for this life. And Lord, your plans are not always our plans, but we ask that you'd help us trust that you know what is best for us. We love you and we thank you for sending your son, Emmanuel, who is God with us and your Holy Spirit to be with us always. To the end of the h.